thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Today we're going to be talking about dyslexia awareness and I'm going to be chatting to Amy Cave who is Senko at Pocklington Junior School in Yorkshire. We're going to be talking about this new amalgamation really of obviously the personal, getting to know the children within your school and understanding their needs, but also how companies are coming together to really support this process. And one of the companies that she's been working with is a company called Lexplore that can quickly analyse the key reading components and gain a detailed insight into how reading abilities varies when pupils process text across different levels. And I think some of this information, together with the personal understanding of the child, is really going to help us support many, many more children in their school learning. Now, I'd just like to thank everybody that's been involved in the GoFundMe campaign so far, um, where we're bringing together lots of these fantastic resources and information and wisdom from the people being interviewed on the show to bring them into a child-friendly book that we can create and gift to the children in our, in our lives. If you'd like to find out more or to donate, please go to educationonfire.com forward slash book, and that will give you all the details and all the information. That's educationonfire.com forward slash book. But here we are talking to Amy Cave about dyslexia awareness. Hello, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Dyslexia is something which we've not really covered here before. And I think it's going to be really important for people listening, both in terms of if it's, if it's their expertise, but also just how it fits in with their classroom and their, their education professionalism as well. So great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's start with where that specialism came in, in terms of, of your expertise and how you sort of deal in with these things on, on a daily basis? Um, yeah, so so I'm um, a Senko in a school um, in East Yorkshire. I have, um, I've been a Senko actually for only uh, just over four years. Uh, but in that time, I have, I guess, worked hard to develop my knowledge and my expertise and um, done a few bits and pieces to keep my hand in. And uh, dyslexia is one of the things I'm really interested in, um, as as with any additional need, really. Um, and it's something that, like I say, I've, I've worked on to become knowledgeable, knowledgeable in. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly feel that I have enough knowledge to be able to support children in um, in my school successfully. Tell us a little bit about your experience in terms of of the diagnosis of that or the understanding of that now as opposed to maybe when you started out. It seems to me that it's very much more on people's radars. It's something which people are much more aware of and able to support children at a younger age rather than the stories you hear from sort of many years back when people sort of entered university and then suddenly realised that there was something which was much more unhelpful in terms of their learning experience. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, if I think back to sort of when I was at school, um, that, you know, and and sort of my teenage years and that sort of thing, dyslexia, I I don't really remember hearing about it or knowing about it as as such. And um, I know over the years it's been in the press. I know there's still people, obviously, that question question dyslexia, which, uh, you know, for me, I just think is is abhorrently wrong, really. Um, I, I can clearly see children all the time that I work with day in, day out who are dyslexic or who have dyslexic tendencies um but i think over the more recent years and certainly um while i've been senko uh it's definitely like you say come into the the forefront of people's minds more so um and i think that's uh really sort of down to work from really really great companies charities such as the british dyslexia association who i just think are excellent um and, and, and other people of the same sort of ilk really um and I think that then has brought it onto people's radars, you know, things like Dyslexia Awareness Week and Dyslexia Awareness Month, which we're in at the moment. Um, and I think sort of, yeah, those things have, have brought it forward, made people more aware of it. Um, and then I think if you've got in school sort of conscientious senkos who are really keen on supporting children, I, I say that actually, but I think everyone who is a senko is a conscientious senko. I think probably a better way to say it is senkos who have the time, um, because that's that's always an issue, I think, in schools. Those senkos that have the time to be able to, to look at dyslexia and upskill themselves, upskill their staff, support the children, um, means that we we are sort of really starting to help those children um, and get the support that they need. Because, you know, if they don't, like when we're talking back in the, in the years where it wasn't really a thing or it wasn't really known of, um, you know, there can be real problems um, for children then throughout the rest of their school life if they're not supported correctly, um, leading to all sorts of issues that, that stem from the dyslexia. Um, and then obviously in later life, looking at careers and um, sort of the ability to read and write successfully. Uh, so it, it's really, really important. And I'm glad it is coming to the forefront. And tell me a little bit about your experience of of what it looks like when you understand and you can see a child struggling, because it's not a question of you have dyslexia or you don't have dyslexia, is it? You know, there's there's the personality and, and a thing I think which is so important about the whole Senko within the education system is it it brings every child much more into the personal learning and support that they need which I believe every child should have but I think certainly in this area it starts to give that individualization which is the way that we can support more and more people. Absolutely. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. Every single child needs to have individual personalised support. That's absolutely my sort of uh, theory, as it were, as a Senko. My tagline is that what they what they need is what they get with the children. Um, and, you know, I think if they I think when you're looking at a child uh, with, with dyslexia or dyslexic tendencies or what you suspect may be that um, it's a it's a real case of unpicking what that looks like, because you know, there are lots of neurodiverse conditions and other other conditions too, um, or difficulties is probably a better way of saying it, that, uh, you know, can can present themselves in similar ways, really. And so I think as Senkos, it's really important um, that we unpick that. Now, we're not experts, we're coordinators of, of an area. And we're, I, guess, I guess our sort of thing is that we just want the, the best for the children. Um, so it's important, I think, that we have the right tools to be able to help unpick that to the best of our ability. And then once we've unpe- unpicked it a little bit, it's then obviously passed on to the experts who, who then can diagnose. Um, in my experience, I would say, getting to know the child 
um, is the most important thing because if you get to know the child you can start to unpick those difficulties and where they are and then obviously if it is looking like a dyslexic tendency or, or possible diagnosis of dyslexia then you can um, you can sort of pick that up and take that forward really. Yeah and I, and I remember one having an interview with somebody a few months back and they were talking about their own experience with their daughter having dyslexia and what they found amazingly interesting is, is that they actually didn't pick it up until she started secondary school because she's just had this amazing ability and awareness to be able to learn things because she could remember them and she could um, recall things and and she managed to kind of almost trick the system as it were um, until she got to a point where that was no longer possible because there was just too much work and and too much detail Um, so it really is a difficult task isn't it but like you say when you understand the child then you could you probably start to pick those sorts of things up it really, really is. And you know what? That's a huge issue. Um, what you've just mentioned about the, the person that you knew, um, that masking tendency, you know, that um, I think there's a little bit, especially as children get older, a little bit of embarrassment, perhaps if they're struggling to read and write and their peers uh, can't, obviously I know it's more than just the reading and writing side of things, but as an example, um, you know, and if, if children's peers can do that and they're, they're maybe masking or hiding that because they um, obviously don't want to be embarrassed or don't want to be seen as they can't do something, and you know that that is a real issue if it's not if it's not addressed until secondary school if when it becomes overwhelming and that's when it sort of becomes found out as it were that we've gone all that time with all those missed opportunities and all that missed learning um and you know the realistic chance that that child is going to be far behind where they need to be um it's it's absolutely a huge issue and you know the like i say the amount of um amount of stories I hear about that where a child hasn't been diagnosed till till secondary school or or it hasn't been looked at till secondary school I just think that's it's absolutely terrifying really and that's why it's so important that we do get early diagnosis in we do get early intervention in because if we can do that then moving forward those those children are gonna have a, a so much you know less stressful more enjoyable journey throughout school that you know a lot of children with dyslexia um if it hasn't been found out or it's been found found out late they don't enjoy school because why would you enjoy coming to school if you found it so difficult um and I think what's the, the most annoying thing about it is actually supporting dyslexia you can make such few uh, sorry such small changes but they have the biggest difference um, and I think that's what's so frustrating because if you know if you could really easily make if you knew about it you could easily make these changes and just make such a difference for these children and and just take us into that a little bit both in terms of I think what you said about the awareness week and the awareness month is is key because there's an assumption sometimes that people are already aware but we're just talking about it at this time but let's let's unpick both of those things first of all in terms of if you are aware or you want to think that you'd like to understand it a little bit more so you could pick this up what what does it what does it look like in terms of where you think a child might have dyslexia or where they're struggling and then also what you just mentioned then in terms of what are some of those things that you can do that makes a big difference yeah, absolutely. So I think like you say, the you know, the awareness thing is uh, the awareness weeks brings it to the forefront of people's minds, but it's actually about being aware of it all the time. Um, I sort of made the mistake, really, I think, when I first started out with Senko that everybody everybody was aware of these things and actually chat to so many Senkos maybe who aren't and that's not their fault or teachers as well that's not their fault um, that's because I'm gonna be <laughs> at the risk of being a bit political um, we there's so little training um, for teachers um, and Senkos on special educational needs it's a huge issue and 
I remember, I mean, I, I trained to be a teacher, oh gosh, 15 years ago, I think now. And I remember we had half a day on SEN and that's, that's to cover the whole of SEN. I mean, there's no way in a, in a morning I can equip myself to, to have a, not even a basic knowledge or, or understanding of SEN. And that's before you've even gone into the specifics such as dyslexia. Um, so I think the awareness week and months, that sort of thing, really bring it to the forefront of people's minds. But like you say, it needs to be something that's going on all the time and promoted um, for dyslexia and for any other um, difficulty that a child faces, autism, ADHD, all those sorts of things, um, so that we can, you know, do something about it, really. Um, I think looking at a child, if we're concerned that or we want to know if they have dyslexic tendencies or are going to be diagnosed with dyslexia um obviously we always look at the reading and writing um that's always the the big one and it's all they, they can't read and write or they have difficulties with reading and writing or they have difficulties with spelling that absolutely is a huge part of it the whole you know well they, they got their b's and their d's the wrong way around and that sort of thing huge part of it absolutely but there's so much more to dyslexia as well um you know there's a lot around working memory a, a huge amount around organization um you know quite often you sort of when you're looking at dyslexia you're looking at that the, the child can do lots of other things really really well but it's those areas such as working memory organization the uh, reading and the spelling and the writing that's where their difficulty lies so um that's where you can sort of it, it can be more identifiable if that makes sense the, the, the issue comes when you've got other things going on um or you're looking at say for example organization if the child's got difficulties with organization there are also lots of other things that um that that is a symptom of if that makes sense yeah absolutely um, so, so you know again it's like what i say it's getting to know that in, individual child once you've um then sort of started to pick up those things and um, then obviously you can you can look forward um, what I would say is there's some great infographics out there, which I use all the time um, in my school. And if a child has um, dyslexia, we pop in there, if they're, say, for example, on our SEN register, we pop the um, infographic in their file so that any any uh, person working with that child knows it's not just reading and writing that can be the difficulty because that's, that's always the one that makes me bang my head against a brick wall. Um, and they're, like I say, they're really useful and you can find those all, all over the spot. And the, uh, the BDA, like I said, I mentioned them before, they have some great resources um, on signs of dyslexia. Once then, obviously, you have um, identified that a child has dyslexia and they've been diagnosed or the the problem that that we have is it's obviously quite difficult to get a diagnosis um different areas have different processes in my area for example educational psychologists no longer diagnose dyslexia there's nobody really in the authority to do that so as a school you're looking at either bringing in a private assessment or asking the parent to go to a private assessment there are funding for these assessments but obviously you know that's not always always possible um so what I always try to say is, look, if we think it is that um, and we've done enough digging in school to, to find that out, um, then we would support that child as if they were dyslexic, whether they have a diagnosis or not. And then I think that's really important because, you know, if you have a dyslexia friendly classroom, you are no way going to affect. Uh, it's not going to ne have a negative effect on anyone. If you're supporting a child in a dyslexia friendly way, it's not going to have a negative effect on them. It's only going to have a positive effect. So you certainly can't do any harm there. Um, and I would suggest, you know, it's just some real, there's obviously interventions um, can be a huge part of that that are specific to supporting dyslexia. Um, but, you know, there's really simple things that you can do. Like I said, you know, 
is there a lot of glare on the paper as a result of the dyslexia? Do they have visual stress? Does this, rather than having white paper, need it to be on a, a certain colour, which you can buy really cheap visual stress screeners for that. You can get um, more in-depth ones too that are done prop that are done, you know, sort of like properly through a specialist. But you can get a really good idea in a school yourself. Um, you can, you know, have an overlay. You can change the font so you've got a dyslexia-friendly font. You can change your spacing between your words. Really, really simple things that will support this child and make the hugest difference. Um, that will literally, you know, take you take you two minutes to do. And I think actually, um, what's a what would be a really, really good thing is making every classroom in every school dyslexia friendly. And then regardless of whether you've got masking tendencies or not going on, you have you are supporting the children. Yeah, I love that. And I think I think also just being aware that every person is different. Um and absolutely and if you have a dyslexic tendency then then that makes you different than someone who doesn't but it's all relative and it is just part of who you are it's you know if someone is tall then they're going to be able to reach something on the top shelf that someone small isn't so therefore you are going to you're going to have something in your classroom that would help that <laughs> and, and 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 it seems to be that it's the same sort of thing if someone struggles to read in this particular way for whatever reason that is then you can put things in place to help them do that and and that's where we, i guess we're going full circle now in terms of that kind of individualized learning you know because everyone needs something different and and when you realize that it's not a I've got x therefore I can't do y it's just I understand more about myself and my skills and my strengths and my focuses and what I what I can do to help myself and therefore by doing it in a different way like I said with all those tools that you just talked about therefore that's going to help me do what I want to do and and then that just feels like it's part of your life and you're adapting it to make it the best you possibly can which is in reality is what we're all doing all the time based on our own strengths and limitations absolutely I, I realize you can't see me but I'm nodding and smiling here because that's <laughs> absolutely my ethos you know um like I said right at the beginning knowing every individual child and what they need and making it personal and like you say it is not about the fact that you know we're talking about diagnosed with dyslexia or has difficulties in this but actually there's there's so many strengths to these um to dyslexia to autism to ADHD it's just a different way of thinking and I think we've got this uh we do have uh as in general, as in society, this terrible notion that I'm normal and you're not because you've got dyslexia or you use a wheelchair or you have ADHD. Um, and it's wrong because that's not the case. You know, uh, these neurodiverse con um, dif difficulties or um, anything like that actually are huge, there's huge, huge strengths to these things. And it's just a diff uh, like often it's a different way of seeing the world or, you know, somebody being dyslexic, being more creative, for example, than, you know, somebody who's not. Uh, I think there's, without um, all of these different, as we call them difficulties, which, you know, they're not, we, we wouldn't have such a diverse society creating such wonderful things. So I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, and, and of course we set ourselves up for this, don't we, in terms of everyone has to do everything in the same way at the same sort of mm -hmm. time, <laughs> which is which is just a, a nonsense in so many different ways because I think having the option to explore things is fantastic because we all need to have experiences to know where our strengths are and then, of course, the natural selection of everything is you then go towards what is your strength. That isn't to say you completely negate the things maybe you're not so good at, but you understand where it fits in your interests and your abilities 
hobbies and and then you gravitate towards what's going to support you in your life and i think having that framework to begin with is a such a different starting point we're going to certainly go down a rabbit hole there which we'll be here all day about i'm sure (laughs) so (laughs) absolutely and wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same exactly exactly um and you mentioned adhd there um (laughs) I understand you were the first friendly um, ADHD friendly school in Yorkshire. What is that, and how did that come about? Uh, yeah, that's right. We've we've been um, working with the ADHD Foundation, who I I can't recommend highly enough. Um, they uh, are the the go to experts, I guess, with um with ADHD. Uh, and we took part in their pledges. I think off the top of my head, I can't remember. There were six or seven now, but there's sort of seven, six or seven pledges that we said we would absolutely follow um in order to become an ADHD friendly school. And we had to obviously evidence that as well. We did a, a lovely little video with lots of uh, children um saying all sorts of things about ADHD and showing the things that we do for them in school. Um, and actually, what that started with, bizarrely enough, uh, not bizarrely enough, but interestingly enough based on what we're chatting about is whole staff training and that is training everyone on ADHD from your teaching staff to your teaching assistants to your lunchtime supervisors to your admin team to your caretaker and so that everyone had that knowledge of ADHD and how to support that if they came across a child with ADHD in school Um, and then obviously the other pledges as well that we have to evidence and I just think that's hugely important because now we've got a really good awareness in school of what that looks like and it, it comes back to what we're saying about dyslexia if everyone's got that awareness then you know just look at the difference that you can make yeah absolutely so give a shout out to your your school while while, while we're talking about that and then you can take us into sort of how your sort of professional expertise takes you beyond just that individual place Absolutely. So we're, yeah, we're Pocklington Junior School, like I say, based in Pocklington, which is just outside of York um, in East Yorkshire. And uh, great school. Absolutely love working there. Um, and they've got, you know what, we've got a really great bunch of kids and a really great bunch of staff and a really great bunch of parents. And I think we make a great team. So hello to everyone at my school. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so outside of the school, um, how does your professional support and consultancy work in terms of that sort of holding multiple uh, balls in the air, I guess? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm, I'm really in my infancy with my consultancy. I've only started that uh, sort of just over a year ago. And uh, I was full time as Senko in my school. I've now taken that uh, alongside a teaching commitment in school. I'm now just doing the Senko part, which is my non-teaching commitment. Um, and I use the other two days a week to do consultancy work. Um, So part of that has been doing things like webinars, um, training, that sort of thing. Um, I've been trained in sort of delivering SEN reviews to other schools um, through Whole School SEND, which is a a, a great um, website and team that are are building on SEND in schools and trying to improve that. Um, So that's sort of a part of it. Um, And then the other part of it is um, a company called Lexplore, um, who actually link obviously really well with the with the dyslexia side of things um they are a reading um it's a, it's a reading assessment tool using um artificial intelligence and i work with them and um, they actually have the way i know lexplore is i actually bought lexplore into my school and was so enamored with what it's done in my school um and how it supported children and how it's helped identify reading difficulties um that then i've actually ended up doing some consultancy work with them as well and supporting them in sort of that sort of thing delivering webinars giving advice as a senko from a senko point of view and that sort of thing um, and we'll make sure that we've got links to to all of these things on the show notes. So um, do go and check that out wherever you're listening to this to this podcast. You can click through onto the onto the show notes, and and we'll have direct links through there, so you can you can explore those things in in much greater detail. 
you talked before about your experience um, as a child in terms of dyslexia and your awareness of all these sorts of things. But but take us back a little bit into into exactly what your school experience was like and any sort of teachers or, or things which really had a big impact on you. Um, yeah, so I, I was um, I was thinking about this actually, and for me, the the teachers, you know, I can I can name a few teachers that had uh, the biggest impact on me at school, um, and for me, it's always those teachers that the ones that made a difference, the ones that you, you can remember, does that make sense? You know, the, ones, the ones who did something different, who went the extra mile or, you know, just made you feel special, I guess. Um, I, I remember, I think, if I'm thinking about my favourite teacher throughout the whole of my time at school, uh, was a teacher called Mr Cowan, and he actually taught me English literature when I was uh, doing my A-levels. And Mr Cowan had the reputation for being the scariest teacher in school. And when I found out that I had him, I thought, I mean, I was, like I say, 16 at the time, so it wasn't <laughs> like I was young, but I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I've got Mr Cowan for English. This is going to be a horrendous two years. And then I remember being taught by him and he was just the greatest guy and he just absolutely went the extra mile. But he had this whole sort of um, this fearful reputation because if you didn't teach him, I think if you were if he wasn't your teacher, you got um, you got sent to him if um, if you'd done something wrong and he would, you know, absolutely go off on one at you, I guess. <laughs> um, but then actually, when you were in his class, he was absolutely brilliant. And I remember one time we had this this boy got sent to him who was much younger in the school and the look of fear on this boy's face as he came in and got told off. Um, and the, the boy then got told off, walked out of the classroom and he just, I can never forget the moment, he just turned around, looked at the A-level group and just went to us, remember kids, order through fear. <laughs> and I just never <laughs> ever forget that, which actually when you think about it, isn't the way you want to teach at all. Um, and he certainly wasn't like that as a teacher, he was absolutely brilliant. And like I say, I went the extra mile, but that was, uh, that was always, uh, it did amuse me and still to this day, I remember it. Yeah, and, and it is interesting, isn't it? People's perspectives of of teachers before you get into that class or you have them in a lesson and, and often it's it's not reality because you hear the stories from people who are who have a different life experience of you like you say if it's a subject that you like and you get a lot out of it then then your experience can be very different it's just if you kind of either personality rubs up the wrong way or you're not be able to put the work in or just want to push those boundaries a little bit then certain people have have certain ways of reacting to that definitely <laughs> um what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And, and can you remember who gave it to you? Um, do you know, it's a really trivial piece of advice, but it's always stuck with me. And if, if we're looking at um, a, a teaching point of view, it is it's sort of where I've gone, gone with this. Um, and it was when I was training to be a teacher, uh, I did what was the old GTP, which is the Graduate Teacher Programme. So it's very similar to the school's direct programme that, that goes on now. And um, the old fashioned version of that, seeing as we're talking 15 years ago. <laughs> um, and the, the, the guy who led the programme, who was in, in charge of it all, he I remember him talking to us one day. We used to have these sort of conference things that went on. And, and he the piece of advice he gave, like I say, was the most trivial thing, but it has always stuck with me and it has always worked for me. And that's as soon as you get a job as a teacher, make sure everything that you need doing for the following week is completed by the Friday of the week that you're on now. And it always, for some reason, just stuck in my head. And I've always lived by that um, mentality. And I'm sure there's some teachers going, oh, that's impossible. I hate that. But it's been a huge part of, um, of what I've always done for the last 15 years. And like I say, has always worked for me. And it's meant that actually I've been able to achieve that work-life balance. So 
went, you know, I've maybe stayed a bit later on that week to get stuff done or worked through lunches and breaks and whatever. But it's meant that I've actually been able to have that weekend to reset and relax. And then going forward on a Monday, it's a whole new week. And yeah, don't get me wrong, you get a whole barrage of things then thrown at you that week. But you, you feel much more refreshed and relaxed. So I've always really tried to live by that. And like I say, it's it's not the most uh, inspirational piece of advice, but it's certainly one that's always stuck with me. Well, I think also if it if it's something which you feel the benefit from every week, then then it's fantastic. And uh, you know, it's it's along the same lines as I hear a lot about kind of you know finish your day in a way that sets you up for the next day, so you're not chasing your tail the next morning. You know, whether that's to do with school and teaching or any part of your life, but it just kind of you compartmentalize what you need, you set yourself up, you get yourself ready, um, and I think all of those things. It just there's something about the energy that goes with that, as well as the physical time and the practicalities that you need. And 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 like you said, part of me thought, oh, if you're sort of working through breaking lunch or late, but then if you get if you know that the payoff of that is that you get your weekend to yourself and you have the ability to be able to, like you say, that sort of balance or harmony as it were you sort of know exactly what you're getting because of what you've done then that's perfect isn't it because you really are taking control and I think that's what many teachers feel like they really don't have absolutely yeah and I think um, in this day and age there is so much being thrown at us and so much uh, red tape and paperwork and new government initiatives and trying to fit 47 lessons into one day that actually trying to have that sort of um, efficiency or um, just like you say that being rigorous with yourself and and completing things and compartmentalizing it can really help yeah um and what advice would you give your younger self do you think now um probably the same advice that a lot of people give themselves and i think that's uh don't worry so much about what people think because when you're over 30 you won't care (laughs) (laughs) that's true and it and it's interesting you know as a as a father with teenage girls that's quite a big quite a big statement because you're absolutely right but it's the thing which kind of runs into our household quite a lot in terms of you can see it, it makes such a massive difference when you're younger and um and I, and I think understanding that even if it's really hard to perceive I think is, is really important because like you say as time goes on you really start to get a much different perspective of that definitely definitely you do um and is there a resource that's had a really big impact on your life and it could be a podcast, a book, a video film, song, anything, but something which really sticks in your mind. Do you know what? I'm going really, really curveball on this. And um, I think that, that, you know, I'm sure some people will say some really inspirational things and some fantastic educational resources. And, and I'm going to go, I'm going to step away from that. Um, and for me, the book that has had the biggest impact, you're going to laugh when I say this, the biggest, the book that's had the biggest impact on my life is Nigel Mansell's autobiography. And I, you, you will absolutely laugh. I'm sure you're laughing in the background at me saying this, but with you, I, read, with you. <laughs> I, uh, I read that when I was, I was, a, uh, my dad's a, a huge, um, racing fan he races cars himself so I've always had that drilled into me it's, it's not random um and I've always uh, Nigel Mansell was my era my youth the 90s you know yeah, uh, late, late 80s early 90s um and when his autobiography came out and, and I read that and I was only young when I read it um but it really taught me about determination um and some of the things that he did to get to where he was um because his ultimate dream was to become a Formula One racing driver and he worked three jobs. He he broke his back and he got back into it. He, he pushed his car over the line when it broke down. He never, ever gave up. And to read about that at such a young age, I was probably like, I don't know, maybe 12 or something like that at the time. Um, 
just really resonated with me. And ever since, I've always sort of tried to guess think back to that, that mentality, that not give up mentality. So it, it's a bit of a random one, but that's certainly certainly what, what has done it for me. No, I love it. And I, and I think I think it is that connection again, which is the important thing. I remember, um, I mean, it's interesting having talking about, you know, dyslexia and reading and, and all of that as part of this show, is that I remember my experience of reading when I was younger um, and the sorts of things you read at school and, and, and the sort of the, the schemes and the format you kind of go on. And uh, and certainly then as a boy, as you're going through, you suddenly, you suddenly become aware that there's this whole world out there which isn't about reading, but it's about the story, it's about the information, it's about the life, it's about something. And for me, um, a bit older than that, sort of later in my teens, I read um, Linford Christie's autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that same sort of thing. It was that kind of, I wasn't even thinking I was reading all of a sudden. It was about the journey. It was about the things which impacted his life. It was how he became, you know, this Olympic athlete. And and, and I think there's something fantastic about the the awareness that we all have as we grow up and grow and, and get older and start to come across books in a different way and it's not about having to do something at school it's not about having to do this or that it's about understanding that you can learn and you can grow through that sort of interest and like you say for whatever reason it was I started liking the idea that I was able to learn from other people in autobiographies were, were one of those things. Absolutely. And you know, actually, when you were just chatting, then I was thinking, gosh, and isn't it absolutely terrifying and really, really sad that if a child, you know, just going back to what we've originally been talking about dyslexia, if a child um, has dyslexia and is masking and doesn't end up getting diagnosed or um, isn't found out until much later, that in a way we very possibly could be taking that experience that we've had away from them, Um, you know, because we I read that like I say when I was 12 you when you were a little bit older and we've chosen to pick those books up and read them and we've enjoyed them and I'm sure we've you know I've got a huge love of books and I'm really lucky because I, I you know I, I, I'm fine with my reading um and, and always have been but if we've got those children who um who, who have got difficulties with that and we don't support that very early on um you know in primary school in secondary school by making those little changes um then they're they're not going to be able to possibly develop that and actually we're going to have the absolute opposite effect they could end up um completely turned off from from reading and i think that's why it's important so important that we we look into trying to diagnose and um or, or trying to at least identify these difficulties as early as we can and get that early intervention in um and obviously i i mentioned earlier that i um I obviously do some consultancy work for a company called Lexplore. Lexplore um, are a great example of, um, of of supporting really a child with reading difficulties, because and it's a you know it's a really new technology. It uses eye tracking technology to identify reading fluency difficulties. And like I know you mentioned, obviously you'll you'll pop the link up on the um, the website. Um, but it's it's great because actually Lexplore picks up read doesn't diagnose dyslexia but it picks up reading difficulties early on. And if you're doing that assessment, if you use that in your school or a similar tool, obviously, um, that's the one that I use in my school and how I ended up, like I say, working for them. If you can do that sort of assessment every term and you can start to pick up really early on from year one um, or, or, you know, year two, year three, year three, whatever, those those difficulties, and then sort of implement um, strategies to go alongside that, either Lexplore have... Um, packages to support that or similarly other things like I even mentioned the really simple free things that you can do then we can so easily make a difference and then allow children and adults to have those fantastic experiences that we've had and we've learned from books. 
I love it, and I think it's it's so important, and I think it's why why these conversations are are, are so full of value, and and having your experience and and your knowledge of all of this is is something which really shines through when we're talking about it, and I think it's going to help so many people, and and we're just giving them, you know. The, the practical tools which I think is incredibly important because it's something I wasn't aware of which is one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about it but also like you say just having the awareness around dyslexia having the having the awareness about what it is and how it affects children and then like I say going into adults and not just about a diagnosis but about I think what we just finished on which is absolutely perfect that sense of of what we're not giving them all the opportunities or or that to explore this entire world of literature in whichever format that happens to come and I I think if we can if this if this conversation is is just enabled one person just to kind of open that door a little bit or support them in some way to help another child then I think we've we've done what we needed to do today. Absolutely I agree and like you say just you know getting lost in a book, being inspired by a book, taking you to places that you've never been before is the most wonderful experience, in my opinion. It really is. Um, And if we can, like you say, just one person can think, oh, well, I wonder if I've got dyslexia or, oh, let me find out a bit more about that and we can make a difference to one person, if not hopefully more, then it will it will really have made my day, as it were. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining me. It's been it's been so insightful and such a fascinating conversation and as we said if we've helped one but hopefully hundreds of people to be able to to get something from this then that'll be fantastic so have a great day and thank you so much for being here no thank you very much for having me it's been my pleasure thanks for listening to the education on fire podcast for more information of each episode and to get in touch go to educationonfire.com education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire.